adding more developers speeds a project up. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> I almost swore then. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Offscript, and today we're talking about common tech misconceptions. So today we're going to talk about tech misconceptions. Yep, this sounds like it's going to be a multi-parter because there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. Um, so I like this because th there are a lot of tech misconceptions and I think it's really important to have a rant about them on a public forum. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> but there's, I think, importantly, it's quite good to, to set the record straight around some things that maybe uh, are used quite often in arguments um, in the wrong way. So um, the first one that you had is particularly something uh, that isn't discussed very often. <laughs> this is front of mind for me because I'm building a web browser. Yes. But private browsing mode, and this may be obvious to some of you, but private browsing mode isn't private. Yeah. But the misconception is that it is. Well, I guess it's down to what the definition of private is, right? Yeah, so it's an unusual thing because it's it kind of goes back to incognito on Chrome, I think was the first yeah. implementation of this. But I think it was around shared computer use, wasn't it? So you, multiple people access to the same computer. Yep. You've been shopping for a Christmas present, and we'll use that example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want that history showing up. Yeah. But that that particular use case doesn't really happen anymore because shared devices are less, although they are, like you might share an iPad or something, yeah. it's unlikely you're going to share an iPhone. Yeah. Macs will make you set up different logins for different people. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the actual data, all the tracking data and advertisers and everyone will still be able to see about your embarrassing rash. Yeah. Um, and it's worth bearing that in mind. Yeah, I think it's, and that's the thing is, privacy in this context is about separation of data, not a lack of transmission of that data. Yeah. So if you if you log into Instagram or Facebook in private browsing mode and then navigate elsewhere that has a Facebook or Instagram tracking pixel, mm. they've got you. Yeah. They know. They'll, they'll retarget you. And, with that. and they're piecing together that graph of, of you and what you your likes and dislikes are and everything else around that. Yeah. There might be more privacy conscious tools and apps that can protect against more of that. I'm thinking about DuckDuckGo from the source code that I've read. It looks like they do a lot to try and protect you. Have you seen uh, Arc, the new browser Arc? Yes, I'm following them. Their videos quite funny. Oh, I've, I've not seen the videos. Yeah, they're just them messing around, trying to get people to actually download and install the mobile app onto their phone. <laughs> and then one guy just runs away. It's really funny, but yeah. Well, one of the things I like about Arc is that um, when you copy a link um, to, to share anywhere, it'll automatically strip a lot of the tracking analytics from that URL. Um, nice. Little things like that are really nice additions to, to tools like that. But Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so, so, so private browsing... Mode isn't private. What what do you what do you do then to become more private? If you're an untrusted network, you'd still need to use a VPN. Yep. And yeah, just just be mindful that you you probably are still being tracked. Um, you can block third party cookies, but yeah, just there's, there's lots of tricks that people can use to 
they might not store stuff in a cookie. They could use local storage, for mm. example. Um, so yeah, just just be mindful that it's not. Yeah, I, I guess it's also it's it's no longer about you trying to not retract for reasons unknown. You know, it's, it's not assuming that there's any wrongdoing. It's it's the fact that you should be aware of your database almost 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 always being transmitted somewhere and, and be used for something. Yeah, it could be that you're in a country where, like, let's say, it's not legal to be gay or something like that. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, in theory, that all that communication is still possible to intercept. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So always, always act like everyone can read everything. Is it a good default? Yeah, a mobile carrier would be able to figure out the domain name based on the DNS lookup that happens. Mm. Um, but not necessarily the exact pages, but yeah, just one worth bearing in mind. Yes. What's next on your list of misconceptions? Um, so this one is around Agile. There's, there's a lot of Agile misconceptions, and we won't dig into all of them today. But one of them is that one misconception is Agile development means no planning, <laughs> um, which is not true. You still need to think about what you're doing. Yeah, It's not just because you're doing stand-ups with sprints doesn't mean that you shouldn't start thinking about what might trip you up in future sprints mm. by doing things like tech spikes. Uh, it's a lot more iterative and incremental for sure. You're not trying to predict the future up front and write a full spec for every eventuality. Mm. But what you still need to do is de-risk, yeah. think about where you're going. Yep. Um, and don't forget that just because it's a few weeks away doesn't mean that's not going to come now very quickly. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I, I think that's, especially when starting a larger project, it's important to have some initial workshops around what you're trying to build, what the intentions and goals are. Um, some of the initial conversations around technology choice and things like that can help. Um, because you, you do need to have a kind of initial idea of where you're heading to. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're doing no planning and you're just aimlessly releasing one sprint to the next, hoping you get to the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because that's just, yeah, wishful thinking. Madness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the next one is a real pet peeve of mine. Adding more developers speeds a project up. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> I almost swore then. <laughs> but it really doesn't. Have you had a tough week? It's only Monday. By it's the way. Monday, yeah. <laughs> um, um, this doesn't work. The reason this doesn't work is every new person you add, the pathways between that person and all the other people just grows yeah. exponentially. Yeah, there's a nice little diagram where you add. You have three people. The communication pathways between those three, nice, simple. You add more and more, mm. and it just looks like an absolute mess. Yeah, and that's what happens in real life, um, and it's awful. That diagram you mentioned um, is one of my favourite illustrations of how bad communication can get if you start adding that many people to a single squad or something like that. Yeah, um, I, I can't remember who authored the diagram, but it's really good. It's just it looks like one of those spirograph things. It used to go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's in a few books. It's in um, Taming Wild Software Schedules, the rapid development book. Mm. It's probably in Code Complete. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, dig that out next time a client says, can we just add three more devs? Yeah, I, th I think the um, that's a really important point there, right? It, it, it's trying to articulate that developers aren't just, and, and this is back to one of my peeves, which is, Developers aren't just resources. You can't just scale up the resource. You can't just drag the slider of developers yeah. and hope that everything gets faster. No. 
um, because usually when you add more people to any scenario, not just development, um, it usually makes things more crazy. Yep, and unpredictable. Uh, you still got all the onboarding to do. Yep, their code needs to land at some point. That yeah, has headaches. One of um, one of the biggest kind of red flags for me is when you look at um, some companies and you see that they have, depending on the size of the company, you'll have like a senior leadership team or something like that. If you've got a senior leadership team with 30, 40, 50 people in it, that's a big red flag. <laughs> yeah. You're having a bad time there and communication is going to be really difficult. Yeah, 100%. Um, there are ways to do this. I don't know if a very unpainful way to do it other than spinning up an entirely different team, which takes a different chunk of the project. Yeah. But it's, it's way more costly than you think it's going to be. Well, at that point, you're basically talking about an organisational restructure mid-development, and um, that's quite challenging. Might as well just set a fire to your own house and yeah. hope for the best. Yeah. So is that your top, one of your top tips? Yeah, top tips. Don't bother, <laughs> don't bother adding more people. Um, but no, I think, I think it's important as well, a kind of side topic from that is, if you are on any sort of process or project like that, you need to allow these things time to develop and, and kind of bake in. Um, making changes to teams all the time and um, not allowing you to get that kind of velocity of teams understood properly um, is often part of the problem. Um, just thinking you can have more people might not be what you need um, for certain projects. Yeah. Uh, the next one is code should be optimized right from the beginning. Uh, nope. Um, so you'll find some devs really like to do this because it's kind of like what we call it dev wank um <laughs> but it's, it's probably come up with a better pc term for that <laughs> um but it's kind of satisfying to do yes but ultimately pointless because yes. you in the early stages you might just be writing that code just to see if it works yeah just to see if it's the route you want to go down and then you might end up having to change it later so if you optimize it so you might notice oh this piece of code is reused in two places i'll make another abstraction and abstract this out and then the third place that you'd have used it comes along and it's completely different and yeah. you try and modify your abstraction into this mess and then yeah you've you've made all this fancy but very delicate code that abstracts all this away yeah and then you have to unpick it and rewrite it anyway so what's the point yeah i think um premature optimization is quite common um i think copy pasting things is a really good thing to do in the early stages because yeah. you can see as you said you can see where it's used you can see how it's used you can see if there's similarities or differences yeah maybe by copy paste three start thinking about it yeah but ultimately if also if you're not maintaining it a lot initially does it really matter um i think the key thing you know this happened loads in the early days of um of rails where everyone was talking about rails being dead slow and you should optimize things in a certain way you have to follow these patterns Ultimately, the scale of which you would start to experience issues around database load or slow code, um, you know, being executed lots of times, you're talking about so many requests that you might not even have with your application right now. You might not have the use case for that in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, even, you know, when, when I was hacking on things really early days, don't even think about indexes on tables. Don't even think about, you know, just, just crack on, get it working. And then when you're in production, and obviously you've got all your monitoring in place, you can see whether where those points of pain are. Yeah, 100%. So I've got absolutely no qualms with copy-pasting an entire component or 
set of components, putting it behind a feature flag, playing around with it. Yep. Don't bother refactoring it then. Like, no. You've, you've still got quite a way to go before. Yeah. I am actually quite a big fan of to do using code bases as well, so you can go through and sweep and clean things up as you go. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but yeah. I like it. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Um, another misconception is usability testing needs to be done once the product is ready. So the old school waterfall stuff always creeps back in, yeah. um, despite your best efforts. So it can be quite painful for founder or startup or yeah, even product development team mm. to show customers very early versions of the app or yeah. website or web application, whatever it is. You concerns are they're only going to give us the feedback that we expect. It's mm. not ready. They're going to say that this is rubbish but actually you're not looking for that you're looking for the things you're not expecting them to say yeah you're blind to the thing that you've built yeah and you won't know that until it's in someone's hands and they press some buttons yeah and then immediately you can see what the problem is yeah i think it's about it's about trust as well you know making it clear to the person you're giving it to it's not the finished article but we want to give you something early uh, and want you to get a feel for where we're going with it um yeah I, I still have nightmares about gun charts. <laughs> There's a great book called The Mom Test, which horrible American name may have mentioned it in a previous podcast episode, but it is really good for customer interviews and avoiding um, all the common pitfalls because people don't want to offend you, right? They don't want to yeah. tell you that your baby's ugly. They just want to, yeah, give you the feedback that you want, which is not what you need. Yeah. So there's a load of tricks in there to make sure that they're actually giving honest feedback. It's also a big echo chamber as well, because if you're giving it to the same audience that are writing it, um, they're probably not going to see the same flaws as as a as a as an older generation would, like your like your example there. So yeah, worth um, worth doing as much field testing as possible. One hundred percent. What else have you got? Um, another misconception: adding more features will make my product better. Yeah, ask Dropbox that. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> they're going to die, aren't they? Oh God, it's so bad. Um, I, the thing is, that's a really good example. I think I might have ranted about this previously, actually, but it's a really good example of how you take an absolutely killer product that did something really fucking well yeah, and just made it awful. Yeah, I've just looked at the website now. Makes me want to cry. Right. <laughs> Thing is, I was the I was the I was the person that tried to get everyone using Dropbox in the early days, and now I feel terrible that I've led them on this journey of a cult. Yeah, if the first first, I mean, I think they did a little demo video before it was properly finished, mm. and that just captured the hearts and minds of everyone, didn't it? Well, you just like this was before a lot of the kind of cloud mindset kicked in with a lot of people, and I just think it was like magic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. And now it's like torture. And now it's got a thing to sign contracts. You can send docs with analytic insights. Mm. It does. What's this? Get your message across with screenshots, GIFs, or videos. Mm. Yeah. What? Um, and then they basically made a Google Docs competitor and a password manager. Yeah. And then just <laughs> bundled it together in a big desktop app and just hoped everyone would be okay with that. I think I think that does articulate your point quite well, though. Yeah. Don't add more features if you don't need them. No, and that's going to be a tricky one because the people at the top will be banging a drum. We need to sell more units. We've promised customer X this. Mm. You add that feature in, you 
you need to support that forever now. Yeah. And that's going to thin your effectiveness. Um, you don't need, you don't necessarily need to support it forever. You could do what Google doing. Oh yeah. Just wait till people use it and then kill it off. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got over Google Reader yet? Are you okay with that? I thought my week was going badly already. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, um, I have not got over that. Sorry, I will never get over. It. Triggered you. I'm really sorry. Um, and finally, is is there is there one more misconception we had? AI will replace developers. Mm. This is a new misconception. Everyone's yeah. getting pretty terrified. Um, I don't think this is going to be true because there's still going to be everything else that developers need to do. The backlog is not getting shorter. We're just going to move through it more quickly. The backlog is infinite. Yeah. <laughs> we are coding forever. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a Monday, but... <laughs> it is, your work is never done. With a positive spin, your work's never done. There's always more to be done. So, yes, AI will replace a bunch of tasks that we don't want to do. It will also replace possibly some enjoyable tasks, but the pie will just get bigger. Yeah. Um, and... We'll just make more stuff quicker and better. I think there there are always interesting product problems to solve, and I think having more time to pro solve some of those problems is is good. Um, I saw something the other day, a tweet that's like, um, "If you're not using AI to generate your documentation, you're missing out." I'm like, "No, you can you can fuck off." Yeah, like I can get on board with using AI to get rid of this sort of blank page syndrome that you face. Like if you if the thought of a completely blank sheet terrifies you, using AI to give you a few high-level bullet points to get you started, no problem with that yeah. whatsoever. You do still need to use your brain, though. But I think that's the thing. <laughs> my, the issue is I have a bad enough time coming back to my own code, understanding what's happened. <laughs> Let alone some code that an AI's come up with, yeah. Exactly. So I, I don't think it's going to replace developers. What it is going to do is possibly support you in ways that you don't yet realize and give you more freedom to focus on the things you want to be doing yeah i think it'll augment rather than replace yeah developers that use ai will replace those that don't yeah ai itself won't replace you hopefully not touch <laughs> <laughs> saying that with fear in his eyes but we do have an applied ai event which i'm going to plug please do coming up um on the 27th of april and we'll be showing people how to use AI in their day-to-day -day lives and a little bit of development stuff as well. Um, Excellent. But it will be good. How do you get tickets to that? It's on Eventbrite, and I'll post the link in the show notes. Is that part of the uh, Leeds Digital Festival? It's part of Leeds Digital Festival. There's in-person, which includes some alcohol and food. Yep. And then there's an online streaming version. Excellent, where you could get a drink yourself at home. Yeah, you like. Yeah. 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 Help yourself to your own drinks. Fantastic. Um, cool. Well, yeah, check out the show notes for that. That sounds like a great event. I will be there. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Offscript. That's all we've got time for today, and we look forward to seeing you next time.